On today's episode of the ENCODA Legislative Interview Series, a bonus episode of the PQI podcast, I sit down with Dr. Deborah Pat. Dr. Pat is a practicing oncologist and breast cancer specialist in Austin, Texas, and an executive vice president of Texas Oncology with responsibilities in healthcare policy and strategic initiatives. She is an active leader in breast cancer and research in healthcare informatics. As an expert in healthcare policy, she has testified before Congress to protect access to care for Medicare beneficiaries. She chairs the Council on Legislation for the Texas Medical Association and works to formulate responsible healthcare policy that improves the health of Texans. She serves as the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Clinical Oncology, Clinical Cancer Informatics, and drives engagement in clinical informatics solutions to enhance healthcare. She is also a member of the ENCODA Legislative and Policy Advisory Committee. All right, welcome on to our second episode of the ENCODA Legislative Interview Series. Uh, Joining me today is uh, Dr. Deborah Pat. Dr. Pat, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We have limited uh, time, but I do have a lot I want to talk about, so I want to get right into it. You testified before Congress uh, regarding cancer care for Medicare beneficiaries, and I think a lot of times we hear these buzzwords during political debates like Medicare, healthcare, et cetera, but we don't get to hear the healthcare experts like yourself. So can you discuss what that experience was like to testify before Congress and how the Medicare system is dealing with the ever-changing legislative oncology landscape? Sure. So first of all, Kevin, thank you so much for having me and thank you for helping ENCODA um, lead some of these issues and be a great partner uh, to cancer practices like mine and those of us trying to uh, navigate the landscape. So I spend a lot of time with elected officials um, trying to educate about healthcare and cancer care more specifically. And I have testified before Congress um, twice now um, and once on the Part B pilot, uh, protecting care for Medicare beneficiaries. Um, And I will say that um, I find that our elected officials usually have expertise in certain areas. But healthcare is really complicated, and if they don't hear from physicians and patients, it's hard for them sometimes to have a deep understanding in how some policies, which seem very straightforward, could potentially um, negatively impact or positively impact access to care, um, the mechanisms of care delivery, potential delays in care, Um, uh, uh, some pivots where patients might have to seek care at a different site of service. Um, And so some of those natural consequences that emerge from the complexity of care delivery, um, sometimes they may not have insight into. And so I'll say that as a physician who's here in the trenches in clinical practice, I really see my role in front of Congress or the Senate or others as an educator, and that I feel like it's my job to enlighten them with anecdotes or analogies or data um, so they can help understand the perspective of patients getting care and understand whatever policies are before us, how they might impact care delivery. Thank you so much. And you just brought up something that I think is important. You know, the, the physicians actually, you know, being in the trenches, seeing the patients, um, you know, you've spent your whole career in Texas fighting for patients. Can you discuss why we need more physicians like yourself to take interest in patient advocacy, but also um, supporting responsible healthcare legislation that will better the lives of their patients moving forward? 
Yeah, I think it's really important, Kevin, that many of us stand at the intersection between care delivery and policy. Uh, because healthcare policy dramatically impacts care delivery. Um, policy changes um, uh, will um, change what um, care you have to deliver to your patients, how timely it is, um, how difficult it is for them to get it, if there will be delays or um, increases in treatment abandonment. So it's, it's really critical. Um, and again, I think it, it goes down to the fundamental truth that healthcare is complicated. And we have many different individuals uh, and groups that touch healthcare and care delivery. And so even though a policy might seem quite straightforward, if we don't think about all of the natural consequences of the policy and how it will then impact the care of patients, then we may be apt to pass or champion a policy that may not be in the best interest of patients. So it's important to think about that. I feel like we doctors who are on the front lines and serve our patients every day in clinic are good advocates for patient care and can frequently represent patient stories in a way that gives our elected officials perspective um, to understand what some of the natural consequences are of the policies that they might put forward. Um, and you know, I think that uh, cancer care has been tremendously innovative and changing and really allowed many patients to realize the promise of modern cancer therapy, but it is expensive, which makes it ripe for regulation. And so it's never been more important for physicians to engage on the front lines with our policy stakeholders. Has that been, um, in terms of working with the legislators, providing them information, have you seen them be, be receptive uh, to receiving that information? And I, I guess, what has it been like for you as, as your influence has uh, grown larger for you to provide that information and then see significant action actually be taken with it? I mean, I think it's really reassuring to understand that the time I invest away from my patients and away from clinic matters. Um, but I think it does matter because, you know, you'll find a wide degree of variability in uh, an elected official's uh, understanding of the healthcare ecosystem. Just as an example, um, you know, uh, when I speak with Senator Cassidy, um, who is, you know, one of our senators and uh, from, from Louisiana, he knows so much about healthcare and so understands a lot of the pivots um, uh, to different policy changes. He's a physician, you know, he's been in the trenches, so he gets it. And I've speaking, spoken to other healthcare, uh, other elected officials, um, and they've uh, asked me questions about, I've been talking about like oral therapies that we give to treat cancer. And they ask fundamental questions about chemotherapy, like if patients are radioactive when they leave the cancer center, um, and um, what it means to take pills for cancer therapy that just, you know, demonstrate that that's not their core competency, that they lack a fundamental understanding of some of the ways in which healthcare delivery impacts the lives of patients. And so it's just really important that we invest the time uh, to educate and collaborate with our elected officials because they may not, they might maybe on key committees of jurisdiction and yet not have insight into um, the, these aspects of care delivery. So as you're thinking about implementing different policies that influence the care of patients, they need to be, um, you know, it, it's our job to make them aware. And so really, 
I, I feel like I wear my teacher's hat <laughs> and it's my job as an educator um, uh, to really teach them about cancer therapy. And then they'll, they'll see the natural consequences, the policies they talk about. Yeah, I think, um, you know, understanding the issues um, is, is super important. And you said a little while ago, just especially for our membership to, to, to have something like we've instituted with our legislative tracker that provides a more um, comprehensive response to each issue so that everyone who's super busy with practice can understand the issues. And, and speaking of some of the issues, um, you know, ENCODA has uh, continually been um, outspoken for PBM reform. Um, and I think with having you here, it's a great opportunity to ask you about a few of these specific issues, uh, PBM and PBM reform being one of them. Um, would you care to expand or explain to our audience a little bit your understanding and how you've uh, have felt regarding the PBM system and maybe how that current model could be changed for greater patient success? Sure. Um, so uh, I think that it's a complicated issue. Um, uh, I like to say healthcare is a multifaceted gem, and this is one of the ways it's a multifaceted gem. Um, and Kevin, I can't stress how important it is for us to have collaborators like ENCODA and other partners um, to try to navigate this landscape um, because uh, just like it's not our elected officials core competency to understand healthcare, you know, I haven't spent the time and effort on policy as, um, as, as uh, other policy experts have. And so, you know, we really need help in navigating this landscape. So really, it's really important to have that partnership. Um, so uh, pharmacy benefit managers are really middlemen between insurance companies and specialty pharmacy that, um, uh, that uh, facilitate, manage, um, uh, sometimes steer um, therapies for the patients we serve. And so it can be a challenge because most cancer centers, not all, but most cancer centers um, have some ability to give patients therapy in short order. Like for example, this morning in clinic, I met a new, a young nurse uh, and she's a new patient of mine and she has a new diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer. And she's a young woman, teenage children, um, and uh, she needs to be treated sooner rather than later. And she is uh, amenable to pill-based therapy. And so in talking with her, she says to me, you know, Dr. Pat, how quickly can we start treatment? Because it's clear to me, time is of the essence. And I said, well, you're right. And this pill that blocks estrogen, you can get that from our pharmacy um, and you can get that right away. Uh, but uh, this other pill that acts with it, that triples its efficacy, um, uh, I don't know how long it's gonna take you to get that because it has to go through um, you know, a prior authorization process and possibly be pivoted and steered through the pharmacy benefit manager. And it could be anywhere from a week to a month, um, which was very anxiety provoking for her. Um, and I said, and when you get that therapy, know that about 40% of the time in your first year of treatment, I have to make a dose adjustment. And this is a very expensive therapy. So make sure that we are touching base before you get a new refill to make sure that the refill is the right dose, because I don't want you to get a refill of this medicine that may cost $12,000 a month and have it be the wrong medicine. And then you have a delay in getting it for an additional month. 
Um, so I will say that um, I know that pharmacy benefit managers reportedly are out there to try to save money, but I see increases in expense of unused medication that's out there in all of my patients. I see delays in care delivery. I see delays in communication, and I see them trying to, um, and maybe they're not trying to, but maybe it's the natural consequence of the policies that they implement um, that it, it, it takes uh, away my ability to manage toxicity and to improve time on treatment and effective therapy of the patients I serve. And so it's a real challenge. So I think we're all really excited about seeing uh, the Rutledge decision in December of last year and understanding that there's, it's a new time where states have the ability to manage some issues as it pertains to uh, pharmacy benefit managers um, under the state's jurisdiction. And that some of these things we can control at the state level um, to try to allow us to have a better touch on the patients that we serve. And I think that's better for patients because then it can improve their time to treatment. It can improve their compliance with medications. I'm able to, in a, in a real time fashion, alter the dose of their medication to make sure they're getting the right dose to both manage their cancer and diminish their toxicities. And that's really important, Kevin, because if patients are on effective therapy with lower toxicities, they will continue to take their effective therapy. Um, so I, I think that that's an area that's really ripe for change because right now, pharmacy benefit managers pose a lot of challenges in patients getting timely access to treatment. Yeah, thank you for going in depth on that. And I think it helps when an expert like yourself can explain that to our listeners. Um, this is sort of a broad question, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. For someone who has the unique experience of seeing patients, but also um, you know, advocating um, for legislative reform, what do you think is the one thing you'd like to see changed, maybe not you know tomorrow or next week, but a year, five years from now, what do you want to see changed in the oncology landscape through a legislative uh, perspective that might help patients uh, win their battle with cancer or have a have a better chance to win that battle with cancer? Um, I, I have a big wish list, Kevin, uh, but I would say that <laughs> I think that um, the pro I'll, I'll anchor it with this: that the promise of modern cancer therapy is that patients can live with their cancer, even advanced cancer, like uh, diabetes or hypertension with a chronic illness. Uh, and that promise is best realized when patients can get care in their communities, when they can not spend their time thinking I have cancer all the time, but spend their time being doctors and lawyers and going to their kids' soccer practice and being at their dinner table because they get to live their normal life. That's really the promise of modern cancer therapy realized, in my opinion. And so I wanna promote policies to help facilitate that reality. That's important to me. And I think there's just no reason why that can't be the case for so many patients who have advanced cancer. So in my mind, those barriers to realizing that dream are timely access to prior authorization. Prior authorization has become um, uh, so pervasive through the cancer space 
Every patient with advanced cancer, when they get a scan, it has to be pre-authorized. Every patient with advanced cancer, when they have a new treatment, it has to be pre-authorized. That means that I spend um, several hours of every day in an administrative burden of duplicating work that I've already done when I've seen and examined a patient and documented my, uh, my treatment plan. Um, so it's sort of wasted time, uh, and that's not a good use of my time. It means I can spend less time doing the things that benefit patients. So prior authorization requires reform. And it requires reform that um, utilization management is a tool that payers will use, but it needs to be used in a way that's not an inappropriate barrier to care. And when it's used, it needs to have a quick turnaround time within 72 hours. And if it is going to be denied, it needs to be denied with someone with the right level of expertise, a doctor of the same specialty, um, uh, because I can't tell you how many times I've had a doctor of a different specialty speak unknowingly about cancer care, which is not appropriate. So prior authorization reform, I think, is critical. Um, uh, and another one is making sure that patients can get uh, their, their medications, especially oral therapies, um, in their community clinic, um, uh, you know, where it's easy for them, where it can be filled real time. So again, that's timely prior authorization. That's not steering patients to um, being filled from a specialty pharmacy that's somewhere far away, where it may take them a month um, uh, to get their new script and the dose adjustment um, may not uh, be able to take hold in a timely fashion uh, that could increase their toxicities related to treatment. So I'd like to see anti-steerage policy um, that doesn't allow payers to mandate steerage to certain pharmacy benefit managers and integrated specialty pharmacies. Um, I would like to see um, timely approval of those therapies. And then I would like to see uh, right now um, we get uh, charged a lot of fees in direct and indirect remuneration fees or DIR fees that are post hoc adjudication fees. Um, uh, I'd like to see those um, uh, go away or if we are going to have an anchor based on quality metrics to have them meaningfully deliver cancer quality. You know, right now, our oncology practices that do deliver medications have benchmarks that assess our quality based on a patient's fill of their hypertension medications or their diabetes medications, things that really have nothing to do with their cancer care. And so I'd like for that to, um, uh, to be more meaningful over time. Yeah, thank you so much. And I think it's, uh, I agree with everything you've said, but for me, especially understanding how in-depth the oncology um, landscape is when we're, when talking about legislative reform with my background in state legislation. I was in healthcare briefly, but it is fascinating to see everything that kind of intertwines and how much work is being done for reform in this space. And I think it's great. Um, I want to personally thank you for being a supporter of mine and the legislative initiatives of ENCODA. And I agree with you that it, it, it's going to take collaboration, not just from our organization, but from other organizations, us working with them and us all working with uh, people like yourself. So how important is it for organizations like ENCODA, but also the other organizations to be involved in the legislative space? And what would you like to see more of from, from maybe membership of these organizations um, as they get interested in uh, legislative reform? 
I think it's critical. Um, I, I really like the idea, Kevin, of the cross-pollination uh, between our different professional organizations and practices. You know, I like to say that cancer care is a team sport. Um, and certainly when we're um, uh, working on legislative initiatives, this isn't something that we can do alone. You know, we spend a lot of time in the clinic. Yeah. And so, um, so we need partnership. So ENCODE has been a great partner uh, there. And, and we need to work with other partners. Um, you know, I frequently will work with US Oncology and the Community Oncology Alliance and ASCO um, uh, uh, and COPA uh, and other professional societies. Uh, some of our state pharmacy societies have been great advocates um, of reform that is really meaningful in cancer care. And frequently they spend a little more time on the Hill than we do. Um, so they're really important partners to have engaged and we've been grateful for their partnership. Um, I think that cross-pollination is really critical because as there are many moving parts um, in, in policy, both at the federal and state level, it would be impossible for any one of us to stay abreast of really all the issues. But by facilitating good communication between us, I feel like we can do a better job of being partners to make sure that our patients are represented well. Thank you so much, Dr. Patton. I know I'm coming short on time here, but I did have one kind of uh more fun question or something that I was uh, interested in. So in doing my research, I, I saw that you went to college and you were studying uh, zoology at first. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about that and how you ended up devouting your career uh, to cancer? But also, where did this passion come? And this is uh, come from, and this is what I've been asking all of our guests, where did the passion come from for your focus um, toward legislative reform and also being able to juggle that with still being a physician. I'm just fascinated by that. So I would. Um, so I was a zoology major in college. So when I went to the University of Texas, um, if you wanted to study biology, you could either study botany or zoology. So being a zoology major made a, made a lot of sense. Um, I didn't know any doctors at the time. And so I was really interested in being a research scientist. And so I worked in a molecular biology lab my whole time at University of Texas. And when I entered medical school, I entered in an MD-PhD program thinking that I wanted to be a bench-to-bedside researcher. But um, at the time, at Baylor College of Medicine in 1999, when I started, they had this new curriculum where you entered into the clinics right away. And when I entered into the clinics my first or second week in medical school, I met a woman who was Mexican, and she was dying of metastatic cervical cancer. It was metastatic to her lungs. And Kevin, I don't know how much you know about cervical cancer, but um, it largely is a preventable disease with good prevention. Um, and her, the reason why she was dying of metastatic cervical cancer was really that she hadn't had access to good health care. Um, and in uh, talking with her and, you know, coming from Texas, I, I speak Spanish. And so I was able to talk with her and understand her story. Um, it made me realize that even though I was passionate about being in the lab, that really it was the issues of care delivery and care delivery policy that um, interested me much more. Um, and that I felt like, even though I loved the lab, that I felt like that was where maybe my, my talents would be better used. And so at that point in time, I sort of shifted away from um, doing a PhD in molecular biology and um, shifted to uh, focusing on public health in addition to uh, my interest in medicine. That's great. And then lastly, I just want to touch on this. When was it that you knew that um, 
the legislative advocacy, that sort of reform had to be a part of your career. I mean, I'm sure that that didn't happen right away, but um, are you impressed? And this is a second part of this question. Are you impressed with how far legislative reform has come in the world of oncology from when, say, you started practice to where it is now? Yeah. Um, well, I'll say that um, I was voluntold uh, to do policy. So my boss, uh, Steve Paulson, who's the president of Texas Oncology, asked me to be more involved in healthcare policy about 10 years ago. And I had a master's in public health at the time. And so what did understand healthcare policy really well, but there's some politics involved too. And that I would say was not my sweet spot, but I was fortunate to have good mentorship with Dr. Paulson and Dr. Joe Bales. Um, who taught me a lot more about the politics aspect of healthcare policy um, and, uh, and maybe better. And they invested a lot of time and still do invest a lot of time in making me better at this. Um, and it has been reassuring because, you know, I do spend quite a bit of time both at the state capital and at the federal capital. And I do think that our investment in time and my investment in time matters and helps to formulate good health policy that serves patients. And, and I've seen that time and time again. I think, you know, I've been very fortunate that in my lifetime as an oncologist, I've been able to participate in research that has changed the field, that has advanced cancer and then used it to save lives, that I've been able to participate in policy formulation that has increased access to care that I've then been able to deliver care delivery and change people's lives with it. I think what a gift to be able to be active in a profession that has changed so much um, uh, that you can feel like you are at the forefront and continue to uh, use it to improve the lives of the people you serve. I feel like it's, it's truly a gift. Dr. Pat, thank you so much for answering my questions, but also just for supporting ENCODA's legislative initiatives, you know, with us being only about a little over a year off the ground, and you've been um, a supporter of mine. So on a personal level, um, I can't thank you enough, and I'm always super impressed and uh, interested when we talk. I always appreciate your insight. So well, thank, you, thank so you. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin, and for being a great partner. I appreciate yeah. you. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Deborah Pat. You can find this episode and all episodes of the PQI podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the ENCODA website by going to ENCODA.org. That's N-C-O-D-A.org. Thanks, everybody.